Now, fellas, I'm looking at you, blokes. Have you ever experienced a time, I'm sure you have, when you've been looking for something in your house, you can't find it, and you ask your wife, darling, do you know where this is? She says to you, she says to me, she's just walked out so I can, I'm safe now. <laughs> did you have a boy look or did you have a proper mum look? That's what I get. Did you have a boy look or a proper mum look? Sure enough, quite often the thing that I'm looking for is right under my nose, but I couldn't see it. I'm ashamed to say I've passed on my situational blindness to my sons, because again, I hear my young and beautiful wife say to my sons quite often, did you have a boy look or a proper mum look? And sure enough, the thing they're looking for is, is right in front of them, because I couldn't see, they didn't have eyes to see what they were looking for. It's a common thing, at least in my house. Our story this morning is perhaps the greatest example of history of people failing to see what is right under their nose. It is perhaps the history's greatest example of, of a people uh, being on the cusp of something great but failing to really have eyes to see. The story that we've heard uh, in Exodus at this time last year was that uh, God has prepared himself a people and they are now at the cusp of the promised land. We learned last year that God's people had been in slavery in Egypt for about 400 years. They've been enslaved in Egypt. God had raised up a very unlikely saviour, a very unlikely deliverer in the form of Moses. A very reluctant, stuttering, murderous goat herder who God raised up and called to Pharaoh to let my people go. God used his unlikely fellow Moses to liberate his people. And God has miraculously saved his people, liberated his people. Remember the story here, sent uh, ten plagues upon Pharaoh and upon his people for they were hard-hearted. Finally, the final devastating plague, he sends a, a, the angel of death throughout the land and the people of God needed to sacrifice the, a lamb. The blood of the lamb protected them from the angel of death as it passed over their house. God has miraculously saved them, delivered them from the Egyptian army that was pursuing them as he parted the Red Sea, which then closed back over Pharaoh's army. God has miraculously provided for them out in the desert, manna from heaven every morning on the desert floor. Flocks of quail meet every evening. He's provided water from the rock. He has protected them from other enemies out in the desert sought to attack them. God has protected them time after time miraculously, wondrously, time after time, and here they are at the edge of the promised land that God had promised to their father Abraham, their ancestor Abraham. So this is a crunch time. This is a, a real hinge point in, in history. They are on the cusp of this promised land, a land known as Canaan, a land known as the land flowing with milk and honey. It was just a, an expression used to mean bounty. Right, sugar and fat. We have too much sugar and fat today, but in those days, milk and honey was sugar and fat. It meant energy and, 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 and bounty. So what are they going to do? Are they going to step up in faith and take what God has prepared for them was right in front of them? Or are they going to turn back in fear? Are they going to turn back towards desolation, turn back towards slavery? Let's find out. 
We're going to have a, a longer reading today. I'm going to read a couple of chapters. We're going to be in Numbers 13 and 14 if you want to open it up. It's going to be on the screen. There's Bibles up the back where you can look it up on the interwebs. Uh, if you've got a Bible app, I can recommend a few to you, but Numbers 13 and 14 is where we're at. First five books of the Bible are called the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, traditionally known as the, the books of Moses. Moses probably didn't write all of them because he dies towards the end of, at least the end of them, but traditionally attributed to Moses. So the, the Israelites are now out in, in the desert. God has brought them to the cusp of the promised land. And Numbers 13, let's um, settle in and, uh, and read through. Let's, let's go. The Lord said to Moses, send some men out to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So the, at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out into the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. These are their names. The tribe of Reuben, Shemua, son of Zakur, from the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat, son of Hori, from the tribe of Judah, Caleb, son of Jephunneh, from the tribe of Issachar, Egal, son of Joseph, from the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea, son of Nun, from the tribe of Benjamin, Palti, son of Raphu, from the son, tribe of Zebulun, Gadiel, son of Sodi, from the tribe of Manasseh, tribe of Joseph, Gadi, son of Susi, from the tribe of Dan, Amiel, son of Gamali, from the tribe of Asher, Sethor, son of Michael, from the tribe of Naphtali, Nashbi, son of Voshbi, from the tribe of Gad, Guel, son of Maki. These are the names of the men Moses sent out to explore the land. Moses gave Hoshea, the son of Nun, the name Joshua. If you just read the names quickly, people think you know what you're talking about, right? <laughs> then Moses sent them to explore Canaan. He said, go up through the Negev and onto the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they walled around, fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. For it is the season for the first ripe grapes. So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob toward Lobo Hamath. They went up through the Negev and came to Hebron, where Amihan, Cheshire, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, lived. Hebron had been built seven years before Zon in Egypt. When they reached the valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the valley of Eshkol because of the cluster of grape grapes the Israelites cut off there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. And Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people, for they are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. 
They said the land that we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak came from Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them that night. All the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly with them. If only we died in Egypt or here in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land? Only let us fall by the sword. Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among the, those who had explored the land, tore their clothes. They said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not be afraid of the people in the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone. But the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Amen. The whole assembly talked about stoning them. And the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to the, all the Israelites. The Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me? In spite of all the signs that I've performed among them, I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them. But I will make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. Moses said to the Lord, but then the Egyptians will hear about it. By your power, you brought these people up from among them, and they will tell all the inhabitants of this land about it. They've already heard that you, Lord, are with these people, and that you, Lord, have, have seen face to face, that your cloud stays over them, that you go before them with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. But if you put all these people to death, leaving none alive, the nations who have heard this report about you will say, the Lord is not to bring these people into the land he promised them on oath. So he slaughtered them in the wilderness. Now may the Lord's strength be displayed, just as you have declared. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love, forgiving sin and rebellion, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sin of the parents of the third and fourth generation. In accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people, just as you have pardoned them for the time that they left Egypt until now. The Lord replied, I've forgiven them as you've asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land that I promised an oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I'll bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. Since the Amalekites and the Canaanites living among the valleys turned back tomorrow and set out towards the desert along the route to the Red Sea. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, How long will this wicked community grumble against me? I've heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites, so tell them as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do for you the very thing that I heard you say. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who is counted in the census and who has grumbled against me. Not one of you will enter the land I swore and uplifted with an uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh. 
Joshua, son of Nun. For as your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your bodies will fall in this wilderness. Your children will be shepherds here 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the wilderness. For 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explore the land, I will suffer. You will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will surely do these things, this whole wicked community which has banded together against me. I will meet their, they will meet their end in this wilderness. Here they will die. So the men Moses had sent to explore the land who returned and made the whole community grumble against by spreading a bad report about it. These men who were responsible for spreading the bad report about the land were struck down and died of a plague before the Lord. The man who went up to explore the land, only Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of Jephunneh survived. When Moses reported all of this to the Israelites, they mourned bitterly. Early the next morning, they set out for the highest point of the hill country, saying, Now we are ready to go up into the land, Lord. Surely, surely we have sinned. But Moses said, Why are you disobeying the Lord's command? This will not succeed. Do not go up, because the Lord is not with you. You'll be defeated by your enemies. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites will face you there, because you have turned away from the Lord. He will not be with you. You will fall by the sword. Nevertheless, in their presumption, they went up towards the highest point in the hill country, though neither Moses nor the Ark of the Lord's covenant moved through the camp, moved from the camp. When the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in the country came down and attacked them, they beat them all the way back to Hormah. Wow. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we pray you might give us eyes to see. Give us eyes to see what is right in front of us this morning. We pray that you might make us attentive to your word. Help us to dial into your word this morning. Father, we pray that my words may indeed be your words. We pray that I might decrease and you increase in all that is said and in all that is heard. And all the people said... So he sends out the 12 spies, he sends out the 12 spies, right? They go up, one from each of the tribes of Israel, they, they go out and they find that the land is indeed good, it is indeed a land flowing with milk and honey. They bring back a bounty, they bring back a huge a cluster of grapes, so big it takes two men to carry on a pole between them. Friends, to this very day, the Israelite Ministry of Tourism is a logo with two men carrying a bunch of grapes between them on a pole in memory of this very moment. But their reports are mixed. Yes, there's all this good stuff. The bounty is right there in front of them, but, oh, they're very big. Their cities are very big and very fortified. We even saw some giants up there. Now, these giants are descendants of the Nephilim, which were a race of giants in the time of, of, of Noah. These are their descendants. So these are big dudes, right? The NBA scouts would have been all over them, right? Or the NRL scouts. They would have wanted these big guys. And so they have a, a, a decision, they have a decision to make. They, they go into the camp, up through Hebron. By the way, Hebron is mentioned here. They should have known, they should have known this is a, a place of promise because this is where their fa father Abraham had actually defeated five kings in this land. They should have known who they were, but the people have forgotten who they were at this point. 
they bring back this mixed report, this fearful report. The fruit is right there in front of them, but they're worried. The fearfulness of the people who live in the land has distorted their thinking. They, 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 can't, see, they can't see clearly. Only, Jake, only Caleb is prepared to speak. Of that. Let's go. God is with us. But the others say, oh, no, we're like grasshoppers compared to them. We can never win this battle. So sadly, uh, Caleb is outnumbered. And sadly, the, the fear is, is contagious. And so the, this contagion of fear spreads throughout the whole Israelite camp. And they turn on Moses. They turn on Moses saying, if only we died out here in the desert. Why would you bring us out here? Let's go back to Egypt. I mean, can you believe these people? They even use their own children as an excuse, something I see still a lot today, people using their kids and their families as an excuse for why they, they can't commit to God. The irony here, of course, is that who is actually going to inherit the promised land in 40 years' time? It's their children. This generation are going to die out in the desert over the next 40 years, and it's their children that will rise up and actually take hold of of the promised land. The lesson here at this point of the story is be careful what you wish for. Be careful what you'll say, what you say. Proverbs uh, chapter 18, verse 23 says, the tongue has the power of life and death. If only we die out here and rather than be slaughtered by our enemies, have our wives and children taken captive. And God says, okay, he actually gives them what they want. Tragically, that generation will all pass away. They'll become known for all time as a faithless generation. They'll be known for their cowardice, sadly. Toza, the great American uh, pastor, great American, uh, great American uh, author, uh, says that what a person thinks about God is the most important thing about that person. What a person thinks about God is the most important thing about that person. I came across that quote and I love it because I think it is true. What you think about God is the most important thing about you. These people think that God can't or won't protect them. These people think God can't or won't protect their children. At this point, their faith is not in God. Who is their faith in? It's not even in themselves. Their faith is actually in the giant. Their faith is actually in the giants to defeat them in battle. These people are not thinking clearly. They're not thinking straight about God. Only Caleb and Joshua end up thinking clearly. They think logically. They think theologically. Theological thinking is logical thinking because it puts our thinking in its proper a heavenly perspective. They rend their clothes at this point as a sign of, of, of just... You know, this is a terrible thing. They ran their clothes. They let's go. Do not do this terrible thing. We can take them. But again, the mob turns them and tries to, goes to stone them. Speaking up for God's truth can sometimes be difficult. It can sometimes be dangerous. You'll sometimes be outnumbered. In response, God is extremely angry at at this point. God, is, God is, has, has, has had enough of them. 
They even want to depose Moses. Did you catch that little bit? They actually want to vote in a new leader and go back to Egypt. After everything, after everything God has done, can you believe these people? Unbelievable. God has, has had enough at this point. He says, ten times I've disobeyed me. If you go back and have a read of the text, there's ten different moments of, of faithlessness despite all that God has done for them. So he says, I'm done with this. And he's actually going to send a plague upon his people yeah, like he did with the Egyptians. Again, there's a bit of a number ten thing going on. There's ten plagues on the Egyptians. They've been faithless ten times. So God is, is done with his people. He's fed up. He's, he's had enough. But Moses steps into the breach and he intercedes on behalf of his people. He steps into the gap on behalf of his people and pleads to God, do not do this, Lord. For the glory of your name, please stay your hand. We still need intercessors today. We need people who will stand in the gap. People who will hold up you, our church, to God and, and plead to God. People who will intercede in prayer, prayers for healing. Prayers for deliverance. We need these, these healers in our church today. If you need prayers, if you need healing, if you need deliverance, we have some intercessors in our church that I can, that I can point you towards if, if that is you. A very important ministry. Standing in the gap. Petitioning God, saying, be faithful, God. Be true to your promise. So God... God relents and he stays his hand. But however, actions have consequences. And although he won't send a plague upon them, this generation will in fact die out in the desert. They will spend the next 40 years wandering in the desert before their children are raised up and take the promised land under Joshua. Actions have, have consequences. What they wanted actually ended up, actually ended up happening. So be careful what you wish for. Actions have, have consequences. So we're, we're left here with this terrible scenario of people dying in the desert. By the way, there was about over a million of them. This is a large nation. Although they'd been living in slavery for 100 years, they'd flourished. God had made them into a great nation. There was a million or two people at this point. If you do the maths, 40 years, 365 days in a year, there would have been death and dying and burials multiple times a day, every day for 40 years. They've been surrounded by death, a reminder of their faithlessness, a reminder of their fearfulness, a reminder of their inability, their unwillingness to trust in God's goodness and provision. So what are we going to do about this? How do we apply this today? How do we, how, what are we going to learn from this? Firstly, I think we can consider... Fearfulness. Consider cowardice. Well, I don't think today we actually think about fear and, 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 and being courage, having courage like the Bible describes. The Bible actually describes courage as a character trait, as a behavior of, of actually trusting in God. We think it's just some sort of innate, sort of, oh, well, I'm just a bit of a scaredy cat. I'm a little bit timid. That's not how the Bible sees it at all. One of the best examples is in Revelation, the very end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 21, we see this final scene of, of judgment. Of, of, of sinful people, the wicked uh, being destroyed, being thrown into a, into a, burning, into a burning lake. And we get a list of, of people. We get a, a list of people. They're, they're idolaters. Uh, they are murderers. They're sexually immoral. Those who practice the magic arts, liars. 
And we sort of think to ourselves, yeah, they're the sinners, you're getting what you deserve. But then there's a, another group of people in this list that sort of pulls us up a little bit. It also says the cowards. Wait, what? I, I, I just, I'm just not a very brave person. I just, I just, it's, it's just part of me. The Bible says, no, that's, no I, I expect you to act with courage. Courage is a behavior that God expects. He expects us to have a backbone and, and to act with faith, to step out in faith. It's not just something that we sort of feel and submit to. It's something we need to give to God and develop and grow and, and, and overcome in, in our lives. We'd be asking ourselves, what is your security blanket? What do you fear most losing? For the Israelites here, it was their, their wives and their children. Not bad things, but what is it that you are putting your trust in? What do you most value? What, in fact, are you making bigger than God? What, in fact, are you making a, a giant in your eyes? What are you placing a, above God? What is your, the source of your security? What do you, what do you fear losing? What do I ask yourself? What do I, what do I really fear losing? Is it my partner, my spouse? Is it my job, my bank balance? What is it? Whatever you fear losing just follow that through get underneath your fears because i think that you there you will find a source of what in fact are you actually really making your functional god making an an idol rudyard kipling has this great quote he said of all the liars in the world the worst are our own fears do you like that of all the liars in the world the worst are our own fears being fearful is a refusal to see who God really is, a refusal to see God for who he, he really is. Being rebellious against God and being fearful of people, it's, it's really just the same thing. Fear distorts our perception. Now, an interesting little aside to this story, an interesting postscript to this story, when they do eventually get around to taking the promised land 40 years later, we actually know that their report that we seem like grasshoppers to these people, that was not true. That was a false report. We know this because we get a first-hand boots-on-the-ground report from within the enemy camp from a woman by the name of Rahab, who we're going to be hearing from in a little while. Rahab actually gives another set of spies a, a, a real report of what they really thought about the Israelites. The Israelites thought they were like grasshoppers. No, no. Here's what Rahab tells them. The terror of you has fallen on us. And all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we've now heard that the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the kings of the Amorites. When we heard these things, our hearts melted. There's no more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Wow. Fear distorted their perception of reality. They were fearful when they didn't need to be. The Canaanites were scared of, of them. Fear distorts. Fear also reduces. Did you know, and I didn't know this until I did some reading this week for this message, but the Israelites only ever claim about 10% of what God promised them. The land we think of Israel today is only about 10% of what God promised to Abraham. The original promise to Abraham, the original covenant with Abraham, the promised land extended all the way east to the Euphrates in modern-day Iraq. 
how much of God's promises are we claiming as individuals and as a church? 10%? Maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of my inspirational preacher, a wonderful preacher, a Baptist preacher from back in the 1800s in the UK, said, most Christians, as to the river of experience, are only ever up to their ankles. <laughs> a few others find it up to their knees. A few still much less can wade up to their waist, but oh, how precious few find the river above their head, the bottom of which they cannot touch. Let me ask you, are you wading deep in the river of God's promises or are you just sort of just dipping in your toe? Afraid, fearful of what people might think and do. Can I encourage you to get a bigger perspective, get a God perspective? This is why opening worship is so important, by the way. Opening worship in the Christian world almost it always begins with, with songs of praise and, and adoration. It's not just because we like a bit of music to start things off. It's because we want to get dialed into God. In the order of service this morning, I actually changed the name to our opening worship, and I called it Focus Realigning Praise. You can actually check it out if you want to come up and have a look, because our opening worship adjusts our focus. From wherever it is we've been in our week, our opening worship actually realigns our focus. It calibrates our focus back on God's greatness, on God's goodness. When we miss out on the opening worship of a church service, we miss that really important part of coming to God together with God's people and, and really putting everything else in our world in its proper perspective. Can I also encourage you to think, well, the 12 spies, they all saw the same thing. They all actually experienced the same land. They all got the same commands from Moses. They were all from the same cultural background. They all saw exactly the same thing, but only two of them were willing to be faithful, and 10 of them, well, they, they went to water. So where are you going to fit in? Where are we as a church family are going to fit in. Are we going to be prepared to, to take that which God has prepared for us? Or are we just going to dip in our toes and be fearful of what the world around us might say and do to us? Now, let's, don't, don't, let me, don't hear me say that there are no giants, there are no challenges. You may well be facing some pretty significant battles. You may well be facing some, some giants. But can I encourage you to think that God is bigger than them all? God is bigger than anything you are facing. God is faithful. God can, can overcome. Let's stop being fearful and let's claim what God has prepared for us in 2024. Amen? And the first step in, in claiming what God has for us is receiving His Son, Jesus Christ, as your Lord and as your Savior. Jesus, like Joshua and, and Caleb, had every reason to be fearful when he came to the promised land. He was facing some giants of his own. He faced the might of Caesar, the entire Roman, Roman Empire. Now, unlike Joshua and Caleb, he indeed did face death. He went willingly to his death for you. He stood in the gap for you. He did so that you might claim your inheritance did so that you and I might claim what God has prepared for us, true, abundant, eternal life, abundant resurrection life, the promised land, eternal promised land in this life and the next. 
It's a church. Can I encourage us as individuals and as a church family in 2024? Let's commit to rejecting fear, rejecting faithlessness, and with courage, face the giants that await us, face the giants that are confronting us, and claim the inheritance that God has prepared for us here in this land, in our day, in this generation, and follow, follow him all the way to the heavenly promised land. Amen? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, this is a, a tough story that we are embarking on, many challenges, as indeed there were many challenges for your people back in the day. So we ask for the courage of Caleb and Joshua. We pray that you might give us a heavenly perspective, give us your perspective. Help us to see how faithful that you have been. Help us to recognize that you are indeed God and Lord of all, and you have brought us safely thus far. May we not be timid. May we not be full of fear. May we not be intimidated by that which we are facing. Give us courage, we pray. Let us be bold. Let us be strong and courageous. May we heed your call, heed your command to be strong and courageous and take hold of all that you have promised us in this generation. In Jesus' name, the people said, let's stand and